and welcome into a new edition of the Patriots Beat Podcast here on the CLNS Media Podcast Network. I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And Alex, the question coming off the heels of this 54-13 to beatdown of Bill Belichick's favorite opponent, the New York Jets, has to be what can the Patriots replicate offensively from the 54-point outburst moving forward? We know some of this. And not to throw him under the bus right off the top of the show, but Brandon Bolden's not going to have 80 receiving yards against every team in the league, well, right? That's something. Might, if they give him 70 catches, if they give him 70 targets, which we can't rule out, yeah, he might get to 80 yards. Uh, what can they replicate, though? Because the Bolden yards and the Bolden plays out of the backfield, sure, maybe some of that stuff carries over, but he's not going to have that kind of production each and every week. But there has to be certain elements, certain foundational pieces that they can build on moving forward. Yeah, I, I think that that's certainly the focus this week. When I did my show with Matt Dolloff earlier today, which you can hear on 98.5thesportsub.com or subscribe to, to 98.5 Patriots Audio uh, on wherever you get your podcast. Nice we plug. Open the, thank you. We opened the show with with the we, – we, Matt actually, this is very clever. He called it the IT, ITJ disclaimer. ITJ. It's the Jets. Yeah. And – you know, when you talk about the great moments from this game, everything comes with that disclaimer. That being said, you talk about, well, what can they replicate? Uh, I think the overall offensive philosophy of that game was different yeah. than what we've seen for extended periods of time. We've seen it in spurts, but was different for extended periods of time in that game than what we've seen previously this season. And this is where we'll get into And I, I've talked about this on the show, Evan, because you're kind of new to the being aware that Josh McDaniels maybe isn't all he's quite cracked up to be. Um Josh McDaniels, great play designer. It's when he uses them that sometimes bites him, but he'll give you a gem once or twice a season where you truly see his potential, not just as a play designer, but as a play yeah. caller. The question is, is this just one of those McDaniels gems or does he finally, and it's not all on him to be fair. It might be, you know, Mac Jones had to learn the offense. Some of these other new pieces had to learn the offense, but is everybody now on the same page? Does this offense truly know what their potential can be? Because regardless of the opponent, the approach the offense took to that game was excellent. Yeah. Right. Where they're, they're, you know, design plays for John U. Smith. They're focusing the ball to Hunter Henry. Kendrick Bourne got involved more, which is something that I think is huge because I think he's a guy that we may not, you know, he's still on the ascension to me. I yeah. think Kendrick Bourne, there's more to unlock with him. And I'm sure we'll get into him more so later as the show goes on. But I think the overall offensive approach is something you can feel really good about. The other thing to me, I take away from this game. And I know some people are hating on the Patriots for this. I'm not going to the celebration after the game, right? Everybody's so worked up on the sideline. Bill goes and grabs a beer with Matt Patricia in the Optum club after the game. I would honestly be more upset about that. If they were four and two or five and one. Yeah. Why are you making a big deal of beating the jets when you've beat other good teams? But you know, I think like right, for a basketball player, sometimes when the shot's not going down, you just got to see one go in. Yeah. Even if it's a wide open layup, you just got to see one go in to get yourself right mentally. I think the Patriots just needed to see one go in. I think they need to experience a win. They've come so close so many times. I think it was cathartic. I think it was therapeutic. I honestly think the way they reacted after that game, you know, I think some people looking at it as well, if they're celebrating a win this big, like they're clearly overlooking other opponents. No, I think it was more so a vibe of, hey, soak this in. Like, remember this feeling. This is why we're putting in all that work. This is what we're chasing. So, you know, I those are my two big takeaways from this game. The offense philosophy and the way the team reacted. I, I think the basketball comparison is a perfect one because – Carmen Brasillo talked about this today, the Patriots offensive line coach with the offensive line, being able to have that feeling of having it all click and knowing what it can feel like and what it can look like when it all comes together like that. And that you are capable against a defense that granted is not a good defense in the Jets, but the Jets season high in points allowed coming into this game was 27. The Patriots doubled that up, right? So well, they were so I, I, the one thing I would push back on there, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later because I'm sure you want to talk about the offensive line. But yeah. if there's one thing the Jets do well, it's that defensive front. And they, right. they held John Franklin Myers in check before he got hurt. Look, I think it's, you know, they beat the Jets, sure. But they beat the Jets like a good team beats the Jets. Right. What do you, do you want that 25 to six performance, that hard fought, 
you know, it got, honestly kind of was a hard fought win against the Jets where he had to get gifted four turnovers by Zach Wilson. Or do you want this? This is how Tom Brady would have beat the Jets. This right. is what a good, this is how a good team beats the New York Jets. It's not that they, I'm not saying, oh, the Patriots are a good team because they beat the Jets. I'm saying the Patriots are a good team because they beat the Jets by 40 points. It blew the doors off. Right. That's why. So, and the first point that you made about the offensive philosophy, I think is really important as well, because first of all, on a positive note, Josh McDaniels was in his bag this entire game between yes. the Johnny Smith wrinkles to some of the different formations that they were running. They, they brought out a lot of new tricks in this game. I'm not talking about trick plays. I'm just talking about formation Wrinkle. wrinkles, Johnny Smith play calls. A direct was, middle finger to you, by the way. Let's not I loved that. it, right? I loved <laughs> it. This is what we've been waiting for all season long. Well, wait, can, can I give the context of that? Uh, or do you want to give it? Yeah. So I asked Bill Belichick on Wednesdays, Wednesday press conference last week, how the Patriots could incorporate Johnny Smith more in their passing offense moving forward. Cause clearly he was not being used enough, right? right? He wasn't, he was being underutilized as a receiver. And Bill went on this rant as he typically does when we ask him these types of questions about how they're not, designing the passing offense to get the football to one guy, right? It's it's a five-man route combination. You read it out. You throw to the open guy. You win the whole thing. Leverage, reads, all, all this kind of stuff. And they come out in the first quarter against the Jets, and seven of the first nine touches, I think it was, go to Johnny Smith. And I was yeah. just like, all right, well, just – Maybe I struck a nerve, right? Maybe he knew in the back of his mind that they had this game plan, an opening script that was very Johnny heavy. And he was like, didn't want to put the Jets on the scent, right? He didn't want to sure. get up there and say, oh, yeah, we got to get Johnny the football and then have the Jets key on Johnny for the full entire game. Maybe that was it. Or, or maybe that wasn't the game plan. And then he heard you ask the question and just thought, F this kid. You want Johnny Smith? I'll Maybe I should keep asking them questions. But it was so the the Johnny wrinkle, right? The the yep. formational wrinkles. Johnny had fullback. Some of the go go stuff that they did with Jakob Johnson, an RPO in there, some play action out of the gun. I mean, just so many different uh, wrinkles and just the vast expansion of the playbook from the run game to the pass game. Everything was called in this game. Everything, and I think some people look at that and they say why waste this on the Jets? But I actually look at it differently because as somebody that gets into Patriots game planning and every Friday I write the game plan out of what I think the Pats will do, when I watch other teams, if I can figure out the four or five things that they're going to try to do every single week, then you know Bill Belichick and an NFL head coaching, uh, NFL head coach or coaching staff can figure those things out. When you right. give teams... 10 to 15 things to think about versus five things to think about, you become a much more difficult offense to game plan for and defend. So now the Patriots have put on tape over the last couple of weeks, but mainly against the Jets, so many different ways that they can play offense, so many different ways that they can attack you, so many different receivers they can throw the football to. And you start to think about all these different things and it becomes a lot harder to prepare for them week in and week out. Now, the last thing I'll say on this point is there is absolutely zero excuse now moving forward for Josh McDaniels to go back into his bunker, right? We, exactly. I know, I know the Jets are the Jets, but if the Patriots who are three and four right now are going to make a run at the playoffs, and if you look at the back half of their schedule, it's not as hard of a schedule as maybe we initially projected a couple of weeks ago yeah, or a month some ago. Injuries and whatever. Right. Yeah. Some of these teams have dropped off. The Chargers are a very good team. We'll talk about them at the end today and and then again or later in the week. But Cleveland. Carolina some of these teams have some injuries some of these teams are inconsistent so if they can keep doing what they're doing offensively like they did against the Jets and even built on a little bit against Dallas as well then this team can go on a run here and if they go back into the bunker and they get conservative again and they limit the playbook again then the Patriots are gonna be a, a team that's you know an eight and nine 500 football team I hate that they can't go 500 anymore but it, it throws my numbers off completely but they're gonna be that kind of football team instead of a team that is 10 11 12 wins and potentially fighting for a playoff berth here in a couple months right yeah yeah I'd agree with that all right 
looking at the offensive line, and then I want to talk about Mac here in a second. Uh, as an offensive line guy, it was great to finally see them settle on the offensive line that we have been talking about since when Alex week two, I, I would say I mean, Trent Brown got hurt. Yeah, I was, I think I said it in the off season that they have Ted Garris and they have this flexibility. And right. Uh, I think we we're talking about maybe taking Isaiah Wynn out of the lineup instead of Trent Brown. But yeah, this has been the group we wanted. And I'll go back to what I said before the jets are the jets, but their defensive line borderline legit. Like John Franklin Meyer is a player. Yeah. And they kept him in check and, uh, Quinn and Williams too. Yeah, I I don't think it's a coincidence. Yeah, sure, their best player. Duh. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence. Like some of this stuff, you know. Okay, it looked really good because you played the Jets. I yeah. think the offensive line, and I guess let me ask you this question. I'll phrase it this way: Did the offensive line have their best game of the year because they were playing the Jets, or because they debuted this alignment? Which which one of those would you say is more of a true statement? I would say that they had the best game in the year because it was the Jets, but this alignment is something that they can build on moving forward. So I guess that, that that's kind of a cop-out answer. But what I saw out of the line from this game against New York that really got me excited was not necessarily the people-moving ability and the displacement that they were putting out there on tape because some of the double teams and some of the combination blocks that they had with the two the guard-tackle tandems, right, Wynn and Karras and on Wenu and Mason on the right side were ridiculous. Like, they were pushing yeah. the Jets six, seven, eight yards down the field. You don't see that on, on NFL tape. You see that when you go and watch guys in college, right, and you scout college offensive linemen. You see them pushing guys eight, nine, ten yards down the field. Like Christian Darisau must have had a million of those on tape last year. Chawan James, Ohio State, get ready for him. Yeah, you don't see that on NFL tape too often. So I don't care who you're playing. That's that's impressive. But looking at the professionalism of this line compared to what we had seen in year, weeks past with some of the other combinations that they've used, just the hat on a hat, the uh, being on the same page on, in pass protection, seeing everything through the same set of eyes in both phases of the game. That is what we've been looking for. And you start to look at some of these guys that they have playing now. And with Karras in the starting lineup over Justin Haran or Yassir Durant, they have so much more experience on this line now, right? These guys have all played right. in a lot of NFL games. A lot of them have played a lot of NFL games for the Patriots. So the experience, the professionalism of this line now is so much better than it is when they didn't have on when at right tackle and Ted Karras in the starting lineup. And this is this like I said, there's no excuse for Josh McDaniels to go back into his bunker. There is no excuse for the Patriots to move off of this starting five until Trent Brown comes back. If Trent Brown comes back, this needs to be the starting five on the offensive line for the rest of the season, because there's two metrics I'll throw at you. One Mac Jones right now, Alex from clean pockets, ninth best PFF grade in football, ninth best. He's a top 10 quarterback when they keep him clean. Damian Harris in PFF grade right now is the third best running back in the NFL. So when Mac is kept clean and the O-line's making holes for Damian Harris, both of those guys are elite performers. And they can have a really potent offense if they can get this offensive line figured out, which hopefully they did last week. Yeah, I, I again, it, it, it hurts that it took so long, but I agree with you. I think this, and, and I would say, I think the offensive line had a good game because of the combination more so than just the fact of playing the Jets. Again, yeah. John Franklin Myers, Quentin Williams, these are good players. I, this, this, it, it's been the key to all of it, right? We've said this from the beginning. If Matt got time and these running backs got some holes, there were going to be opportunities here. We've right. said this all along, and now it seems like they might be able to do that. Yeah, and it, it's great to just see when you have an offensive line that, first of all, Mike Onwenu is an absolute stud. That that guy is unbelievable. Wherever he they might be a tackle. I know they want to keep him at guard, and that's his natural position, but he might be a tackle. Wherever they put him, he's freaking good, right? It doesn't yeah. matter. His run blocking, he was snatching people in this game. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy how much movement they were getting. But the finishing of the offensive line was also probably the most important part of it was they went out there with 
an agenda to to just physically impose their will against the Jets. And they were finishing blocks. They were finishing guys into the ground. They were blocking double teams eight, nine, ten yards down the field. And then once you start getting that into that, then you start incorporating the play-action passing game. Then you start incorporating some of the screen designs that they ran. And all of a sudden, it all starts – to work out and it all starts to click Mac Jones off of play action 12 of 16 for 11.1 yards per attempt and I know all the nerds my fellow nerds are gonna yell at me and say you don't have to run the ball effectively to be good at play action I don't think you get to 11.1 yards per attempt on play action if you have zero threat of a running game it just it just doesn't add up the way that the tape usually shakes out so they get the run game going they get the Jets on their heels in that respect, and it opens up the rest of the playbook. It opens up the play-action passing attack, and that's really how this offense is built. We talked about the right. play calling off the top of the show. We've talked about how this offense was built, it, although I've been reluctant to go that style, go that route in 2021. If you can be an effective play-action passing attack off of that run game like they were on Sunday against the Jets – then you can score 50 plus points with that type of offense against a bad team, right? So this formula moving forward of incorporating all of their new weapons, right? Not just one, but all of their new weapons and getting the run game going and getting the offensive line going downhill, that this is how the Patriots wanted to play football when they drew this up back in March and April. We are back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. It was the blueprint. It was that blueprint we kept talking about. And yeah. I mentioned like when they saw, when they signed a couple of these guys, I said, well, it's going to come down to how they use them. They're talented, yeah. but they have to be used correctly in the scheme. And we didn't see that earlier in the season. Now in, in the offensive line just affords them more opportunities where now they can use these players the way that schematically they probably should have been using them all along. Yeah. So I want to turn the page to Mac now a little bit. And I posted an article this morning about not limiting Mac Jones's ceiling because Alex, you, you can vouch for this. I was not the biggest believer in Mac Jones until he got into training camp and I really started to get on the bandwagon. Right. And yeah. back in the pre-draft, I, I wasn't the biggest Mac guy and he proved me has proved me wrong every single step of the way. And I think people that have come out against Mac Jones, they keep on moving the goalposts, right? And and I, my my good friend Chris Gasper, him and I went back and forth on Twitter for a long time uh, today about this. And the problem that I have with Chris and, and people's arguments against Mac Jones that are like Chris is that Chris started with Mac Jones being Andy Dalton, right? He's already moved off of Andy Dalton, and now we're up to Mac Jones being Kirk Cousins, right? We've, we've improved. So if you've, in a short period of time, in just a matter of a couple of months, if Mac Jones has moved you off of Andy Dalton to Kirk Cousins, then who's to say if he could move you off of Kirk Cousins to Matt Ryan or Matt Ryan to the next guy, right? You, know, you just don't know anymore because he's exceeding expectations. You, what you see out of him every single week is more and more and more comfortability and success in within structure within the offense within the system and it's impressive and at this point I'm not capping his ceiling anymore I think this kid can be really really good in the NFL how good will he be that only time will tell I, I, I'm done sitting here with the player comps I'm done sitting here saying you know the Patriots offense is going to win in spite of Mac Jones or with Mac Jones but not because of Mac Jones I, I no longer know if that all we're looking at we might be looking at something even more man if you if you back in october of 2020 could see yourself now 
I know. Use a third round pick on Mac Jones. I know. Wouldn't use a third. Yeah, they don't need to take him that high. They no. What are you talking about? They don't need to worry about him. Mia uh, culpa. I own it. Yeah. No, you do. I, I respect it. I think again. I, I think sometimes the conversation about Mac Jones drifts, and you'll have two people arguing opposite points at each other, where one person's arguing what he is right now versus another person arguing the ceiling. Like, I think if you want to talk about Matt Ryan as his ceiling, that's fine. Uh, he's right. probably more Kirk Cousins right now. I, he, he still has room to grow. Like, And that's the other thing, too. I think When I say Mac Jones still has room to grow, I mean that as a compliment. I mean that as a good thing. I mean that as something Patriots fans should be excited about. Mac Jones having room to grow means the guy you're seeing now is going to get better. But I think some people see that, and it sets them off, and it pisses them off by, what do you mean Mac Jones is going to get better? Like, he's already so good. Why does he have to be better? Like, no, that's not right. how any of this works. Rookies get better. You know who was really good as a rookie and then just plateaued was Andrew Luck. And, you know, you want to know a right. dirty little secret of, like, mid-2010s NFL? Andrew Luck wasn't a very good quarterback. Oh, he no. put up a ton of numbers because oh, no, he no, threw no. the ball 60 times a game. Evan, <laughs> he got picked off a ton. Yeah, he, he had a lot of interceptions. But he was also trying to elevate a team around him that wasn't very good, so he so, had to take some more chances, I would say. Well, so the fact that he didn't get better isn't necessarily his fault. Yeah. That's what I would say. He was in a position that stunted his growth. But if you, like, your rookie quarterback get it. I'll say this. Mac Jones should have a better career than Andrew Luck had. He, he should. 100% he should. Because you when you look at your rookie quarterback, saying the rookie quarterback is going to get better or, or needs to get better, whatever get better, whatever adjective or adverb or whatever you want to use, that's a good thing. The rookie quarterback should get better. There should be higher expectations for him than what he's doing right now. Where the excitement comes from is he's starting with such a high base. And that's why people were so excited about Mac Jones in the draft. Yeah, he may not have had the raw upside of a guy like Justin Fields or a guy like like, like Zach Wilson, for instance. But Zach Wilson was all upside. You want to coach him up. It, it's nature versus nurture, right? Zach, Zach Wilson was a pure nurture draft pick. He was only going to be as good as the situation he was put in. And unfortunately for him, he was put on the New York Jets. So his career was basically over on April 30th or April 31st or whatever it was. Mac Jones is working with so much of his own ability that he comes in with, that he brings in, that he's starting at such a high point. And now there's the excitement of, all right, how much better is he going to get? And luckily for him, he's not on the Jets or he's not on the early 2010s Colts. He's in a situation that's going to nurture him and probably properly develop him and allow him to get better. So I, I want to John Doe here comments on this every single show. So I just want to I, I, I'm going to wear this right now. Uh, ju- yes, I, I was a Justin Fields guy. Uh, you are not uh, the cat's not out of the bag on this one. Like you're not you're not getting a, a one over any of us right now. I was a Justin Fields guy, but to Alex's point, is Justin Fields uh, is his career going to go in a bad direction or a not so good direction I mean, compared to coach Matt Jones? Is, is Matt Nagy? So because he's in Chicago, right? So right. I'm not saying that Matt Jones has it easy just because he has Bill Belichick. I'm just saying. Justin Fields might not have it as easy or might not have a, as good of a career a lot in, in that as Matt Nagy. But I think the biggest part of all of this with the Justin Fields and the Trey Lances and the Zach Wilsons is we have lost sight as football people when we evaluate these guys in the draft and we evaluate these quarterbacks in the NFL, we have lost sight of the most important traits for any quarterback. And that is what you do in structure, what you're doing in the system, because the conversation has now become more about what, how do you elevate the scheme? And I think a lot of people make elevating the scheme out to be the Patrick Mahomes roll into his right, throw into his left, 60 yards down the field and playmaking outside the pocket and the off platform throws. That's, becoming now the only way that you can elevate your offense or you can make it better uh, to people. Whereas the reality of the situation is that playmaking inside the pocket and the ability to go through your reads quickly and the ability to throw the ball accurately down the field and just make the right decisions has become so boring that that's no longer 
appealing. It's no longer fun. It's no longer good enough to a lot of people because being able to just make the right decision within the pocket is not good enough anymore. You need to do more. And my pushback on that would be that even if you look at a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who has maximized everything in the NFL for his ability, right? 90% or maybe 80% of his passing yards in an NFL season or touchdowns in an NFL season come within structure, within the framework of the system that he's operating in. And we're harping on the 10%, the 20% that isn't in structure. And I, I just, I really feel like we have just completely lost uh, evaluating quarterbacks. I, I feel like we have completely lost it. And that's why you get Zach Wilson and Trey Lance and all these guys that get picked over Mac Jones in a draft, or even looking back at the draft with Justin Herbert, who are they going to play next week, right? There was guy, you know, Tua goes ahead of Justin Herbert in a lot of ways because of his out of structure playmaking ability. And Herbert wasn't as good out of structure, out of structure. And now look at it, right? And I just feel like we've completely lost focus of what are the most important traits? What are the most successful traits from Brady to Breeze to Manning to Rodgers to any style of quarterback? The guys that operate the best from the pocket are the guys that have the most NFL success. So, and, and I'll say one other thing I think that gets lost in this. And I talked about this a lot during the draft, but I'll bring it back. I think people are now the most, the most important thing if, if I'm a vet, and this is across positions, this is across sports. If I'm a talent evaluator, if I'm a yeah. scout, and I'm looking at a player in the draft or at a player in the free agent in free agency, the first thing I look at is how consistent is that player. Forget what he can do on his best day, because to get as far as these guys have gotten, you're going to be able to flash. It, it goes back to remember the throw Kellen Mond and Zach Wilson, and they all made on their pro day where they rolled to the left right. and then turned the shoulders and do about like 80 yards to the right, not in pads. Like, great. That's awesome. If you're going to be a division one quarterback, you probably should be able to make that throw once in sterile conditions. That throw doesn't tell me anything from an evaluation point of view. Everybody can make that throw, but it's okay. When the, when, when the lights are on and the pads are on and you have a live opponent on the other side, and you, you're in a position to make that throw. Do you complete the pass one out of every 10 times? Right. Five out of every 10 times? Eight out Zach of every Wilson 10 Wilson got drafted number two overall from that throw in the pro day. Right. I, I fully right. believe that. And and I, I don't think anybody looked back and said, well, how often does he make this throw in a game? I think yeah. they just looked at it and said, he made it. That's awesome. Fantastic. This is what makes Patrick Mahomes so spe- made him so special. I don't know what the hell's going on this year. But what yeah. made him so special is that circus throw he could make eight, nine times out of 10. We hadn't seen that before. What makes right. Tom Brady so special is maybe not those circus throws, but some of the intermediate throws, he makes 10 times out of 10. You just didn't see that. Yeah. Whereas you have a guy, you know, and there were so many like, is this guy the next Brady? Is that guy the next Brady coming up? And yeah, they'd make the throw like six, seven times out of 10, right? Like a Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers maybe makes that throw seven times out of 10, but Brady made it 10 out of 10. And right. that's, that's where I think a lot got lost in translation is, you know, Zach Wilson makes that throw one time out of 10. Justin feels probably five or six. Mac Wilson might not make that exact throw that, that pro day throw, but there's throws he's going to make nine times out of 10 that the other quarterbacks are only going to make six or seven times out of 10. And teams are just banking on raw athleticism to make up for that gap. And unless you have a truly rare athlete, and there's there's one example I can think of, and that's Lamar Jackson. Right. Unless you have a truly rare athlete, and I think Lamar Jackson is the best pure ball carrier in the NFL, whatever position. Like, I wouldn't have him return punts because I want him to be healthy. But like, if I had could have anybody in the league return a punt, injuries off, it would be Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Like, unless you have that guy, you're probably not going to make up for that gap. Can can I do can we do one side thing here? Cause I'm very curious to get your thoughts on this. I look Yeah, I just I just love the point about the because I think it's basically what I'm saying with the in structure versus out of structure stuff. Right. I just the, making the, the same point a different way. Yeah. The the consistency is is what it's all about, right? And 
NFL teams and NFL evaluators, and I'm not saying that I have all the answers because I had Justin Fields rated ahead of Mac Jones, and I had Trey Lance rated ahead of Mac Jones, but all these evaluators are actually getting paid to do this (laughs) in terms of making these decisions for these NFL teams. They're going to continue to strike out on these quarterbacks at the top of the draft if they continue to chase the the one unicorn that is Patrick Mahomes. And get and get ready because this year's quarterback class is all, you know, Mahomes mold. Right, it's right. all raw upside. No, like that guy, uh, like uh, Malik Willis, who's a who's Malik, a well, right. Malik Willis is kind of his own thing, just because he's playing at Liberty. Yeah, um, but I'm talking about Matt Corral. I'm talking about Spencer Rattler, Carson Strong. Yeah. You know, yeah. somebody's going to take Kenny Pickett in like the second round, and it's going to be a great pick. Yeah. And I, I was really out on Kenny Pickett coming into the year. I've been impressed. But anyway, I, I, I wanna, I'm going to give you some quarterbacks here, Evan. Sure. And I, I'm going to give you, this is, I think, seven or eight quarterbacks. When it's all said and done, how many of these players, how, Mac Jones will have a better career than how many of these players, okay? Okay. And I'll, I'll tell you what the common link is after I give you the list. Okay. David Garrard, uh, Matt Schaub. Oh, we'll I'm go good. one by one. David Garrard, yes or no, Mac will have a better career. Yes. Matt more, Schaub. More longevity. Definitely. Okay. Matt, Matt Schaub. Definitely. Carson Palmer. No. Okay. Alex Smith. I want to say yes to that one, so I'll say yes. Yes, Mac has a better career? Yes. Okay. Jay Cutler. Yes. Cam Newton. Oh, that one's tough. They, they don't they play so differently so it's, I know, I'll, I'll throw that one out because the high yeah. point is so high but his durability um in andy dalton better yes better mac is better okay yes so carson palmer was super underrated carson palmer's the only one so what yeah. and actually if i sort this list by one okay so this is interesting so basically what i did because i was curious i kind of made that andrew luck comment before off the cuff and i was just sort of curious yeah so i looked up players who had a pat career passer rating within five points of Andrew Luck, who played as many or more games in the same era. And that's the list. Those are Andrew Luck's peers in terms of right. career passer rating. Dalton, Cam Newton, Jay Cutler, Alex Smith, Carson Palmer, Matt Schaub, David Garrard. And now I feel very confident about two things I said earlier. I feel very confident in saying the fact Andrew Luck was overrated throughout his career. And I feel very confident in saying Mac Jones will have a better career than him. Because I'll give you, you know, if he has the same Schaub's a weird one because he got thrown in a horrible situation. If he is the career Palmer had, or even the career Newton had, a Super Bowl appearance and MVP, he did okay. And I think he'll be way ahead of all those other guys. Yeah. But anyway, I, those are Andrew Luck's peers for what it, it, I was surprised. It's not an impressive list. Outside yeah. of Cam, it's not an impressive list. Yeah. Alex Smith, uh, you know, that one's a, a good – I think Alex Smith has is, is been a comp for a lot of people for a long time with Mac Jones. Similar yeah. skill sets, right? Oh, by, sorry, by the way, uh, Carson Palmer is the highest passer rating of any player on that list. Yeah, Carson Palmer was super underrated. If He, he, he got he stuck just, in, in he Cincinnati spent his whole career with horrible coaches. Yeah. He spent his whole career with horrible coaches. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, I – it's interesting that the, the, I get why people get to the Alex Smith comp, but I, I really just feel like Mac is, has, he's got something else about him from a, a mental makeup standpoint that I'm not sure Alex Smith ever had. Right. I, maybe they're comparable in terms of physical raw tools. Right, that it factor. Right. But that, that it factor that we've seen out of him so far is something that I, I just don't know if Alex Smith ever really had that edge to him and and, and that you know Alex Smith had a nice career right it's not it's not like Alex Smith had a terrible career but uh, another question in the chat just really quickly about Matt before we turn the page to the defense is about arm strength and uh, I see this a lot about can Mac improve his arm strength first of all I don't think Mac's baseline arm strength is all that bad right like I I think it can definitely improve and it's certainly not a cannon like Josh Allen or Herbert or Mahomes or someone like that but he's got enough arm on most of these throws that we see him make uh, every single week. Now, improving arm strength it definitely is possible, right? You get into yeah. an NFL strength and conditioning program. You get into an NFL diet and all those types of things. Uh, you also get into something like uh, mechanics and and being able to get more torque and hip torque and, and all, that, uh, all that jazz as well. Definitely doable to improve 
overall raw arm strength. Right. But I, I don't I don't really agree with the narratives that he's got no arm. Like I, I just don't right. really see that from what we've seen. Yeah, I, I'd agree. It's not the strongest. He doesn't have the strongest arm in the league. I don't think anybody's saying he does have that. But right, average, above average. Uh, you know, it's funny. I once had a coach tell me that you can add five to ten yards uh, of arm arm strength, however you want to characterize that. Yeah, you can add five to ten yards on mechanical changes alone. Now, I don't know how that applies to Mac Jones because I'm assuming that means from the worst possible mechanics to the best possible mechanics and. Max mechanics already pretty good. I'm sure there's areas they can round him off. I'm not a throwing coach. I don't know. Um, but, you know, if he can even get a, a couple yards on that, it, his arm's never going to hinder him. I don't know that he's ever solely going to make plays based on how far he can throw the ball. But one, the Patriots offense isn't built to do that. Like, yeah. Unless they go out and sign Tyree Kill, it's not going to matter. Um, and he can still make all of the throws he needs to make. Like, it's not, it's not his game. If he starts running around like Mahomes, where he's in spot to make the throws like Mahomes, we have much bigger problems than just Mac Jones' arm strength. Yeah. I'm going to audible and talk about cannabis, specifically Massachusetts' premier cannabis dispensaries, INSA, I-N-S-A. They're the premier because the founders, Pat and Pete, re-engineered the cannabis model from what they sell to how they sell it while never forgetting it's for everyone. INSA dispensaries are inviting and modern, so come in just to learn more. The staff are authorities on the science who answer every question from the differences between flowers and concentrates to offering for insomnia and anxiety or reco for hanging with friends. INSA has a world-class head chef too and only hires the most respected growers who perfected their craft when it wasn't so legit. One last thing, the INSA founders aren't VCs from Silicon Valley, but lifelong pals from Springfield. So there's another local team to root for, INSA. In Salem, East Hampton, Boston Delivery, and two Springfield locations, including just one off I-91 beside the MGM Casino. Mention we said to stop by for a sweet t-shirt or for one penny, INSA.com or 877-500-INSA. Do we want to do a play? Let's do a play. I want to, do, I, play. I want to do this play. Um, it is the Kendrick Bourne deep ball, but I, I think it's like really important to talk about this from a couple of different angles. So uh, the first thing is, is, is one of the most in, important things I would say um, for attacking single high coverage as I try to get this to go. There we go. Um, is just knowing where your one-on-one is and having uh the trust, the ability, all of it, uh, the confidence to make this throw, right? Because a lot of people put that side by side up of Tom Brady and Mac Jones making this exact same throw essentially on Sunday. And Brady, for all of the things about, you know, uh, how he is great with the processing and the underneath stuff and all that kind of stuff, especially in Tampa and when he's had the weapons in New England, his his willingness and, and his identification of one-on-one matchups on the outside and the way he puts the ball on the receivers is one of the best things about his game, in my opinion. And, and Mac basically replicates that here. So what you have is this single high safety uh, over here on the far hash, and the Jets are showing this blitz. And this is how teams over the last couple of years, even going back to the Brady era, Alex, have played the Patriots, right? Single high, man-to-man. You put the extra guys in the box to stop the run or send sort of some sort of pressure, and it's caused the Patriots a lot of problems because they haven't had the weapons on the outside to get off of press man. Well, here, Mac is going to have Kendrick Bourne at the top of the screen. He's going to have the safety on the far hash, and he's just going to make this throw in the bucket. And the more that Mac Jones makes this play, and the more that the Patriots are letting him, you know, throw this football, right? The more that teams are going to have to think about it. I, I know this is against the Jets, right. but if you keep on putting that single high safety up top, and Mac continues to aggressively hunt with the football against man coverage on the outside, and his guys start making plays out there, then the less of that we are going to see. And then that obviously opens up other things. So it, to me, this is 110% more about the uh, intent than necessarily the result, right? Because he's willing and able to make this throw. And the Patriots are get having receivers like Bourne or Aguilar who might be able to win more on this route. And that to me is is really one of the most telling things about that entire tape is that 
Mac was getting those one-on-one opportunities out on the outside. He was attacking those one-on-one opportunities on the outside. And this goes back to the whole thing of, well, you put this on tape and now teams see this and now how are they going to react to that? How are they going to change that? And if they continue to give Mac Jones those one-on-ones, then I hope he continues to take them. Yeah, and again, it's just going to open up more opportunities for the offense because the more teams have to respect that play than it's underneath run after the catch opportunities for Jacoby Myers and Johnny Smith, right? So that that's kind of the last key to unlocking this offense. And we thought it would be Nelson Aguilar, and they tried to hit Aguilar deep a couple times on Sunday. It was Kendrick Bourne this week, but that yeah. that's kind of the last element they need to round out here. Eventually, they're either going to back off, they're going to go away from press man, they're going to have to take a safety out of the box to play too deep. They're going to have to do something else, right? Or it, not, or not. You keep that throw. them over the top. Or maybe they keep these, making a throw, right? Maybe these defensive coordinators believe that Mac has no arm and they stay in the box and he'll just keep toasting them over the top. Let him do that. Okay, so all the positivity about the offensive side. Let's move over to the defensive side of the football where in a weird, strange way, we have flip-flopped here a little bit, right? The offense now seems like the unit that's picking things up and it's trending upwards. And the defense seems to be the average to mediocre side of the football that we're not sure if it's going to get any better than what it is with the personnel that they have. I want to start with two positive notes, though, from watching this game back. The first thing is the Patriots have made a real turnaround on first and second down this season. Last season, they were 30th in the league in yards allowed on on first and second down. This season, they are creeping up into the top 10. So they've made a complete turnaround there. And mainly, the, the uh, besides the run defense really improving, and we can get to that in a second as well, uh, the other thing that's really improved a whole lot is the play-action passing defense, which I don't think people would have really thought of with this team. Uh, last year, the Patriots were uh, 30th in play-action passing. They were giving up 9.4 yards per play-action pass attempt as a defense last year. They are over three yards better this year. They're at 6.1 yards, uh, which is third in the NFL against play action. So they are making it happen on first and second down. Uh, They got to get better on third down, right? That's what's been their Achilles heel so far, 20th and third down efficiency. But the first and second down defense from – the run defense to the play action pass defense on early downs, that's starting to find its way. It's starting to find its rhythm. And and that's something that is, uh, is a good thing for the Patriots. Yeah. I, I, I still think my concerns with the deep, just to go back to your point before about, you know, switching places. Yeah. My concern with the defense is more personnel wise. I, yeah. they're, just, they're so banged up. Like it comes with the injuries. Like I'm not concerned about them performance wise. It's just, who are they putting out there in the secondary right now? And I'm sure we'll get into that, but I, I, I still think performance-wise, I mean, I still buy into this defensive front a ton. I like the secondary when they're healthy. They're just not healthy. Yeah. The front is playing well. That's that's the main yeah. point of what I'm getting at. Is that we the do front like 30 seconds on Christian Barmore because he's yeah, just that was what was coming next. The okay. front is playing well, right? Because if you're a good first and second down defense, that usually means that your front is playing well. Right, because you're stopping the run, you're stopping play action, uh, you're stopping things in the front seven. And and that's what you like to see. So the front is working. The front is doing its job. Christian Barmore, PFF still doesn't like him. I I had a little bit of of an argument with one of my guys over there about the grading on Christian Barmore from this Jets You know what? When they put kickers in their mock draft simulator, we can take PFF seriously. Until then... PFF still doesn't like Barmore. Uh, they claim that he he blows gaps too much and is too undisciplined against the run. It's tanking his grade, yada, yada, yada. Okay, whatever. But the main point about Barmore, and I posted a few clips about this on Twitter as well, is what a uh, revelation he has been at making plays behind the line of scrimmage in the run game. Right. And finally, the Patriots have a guy and they're allowing him to do it more, which I think is a little bit surprising to some. But they're they're having him shoot gaps. Right. They're having him go make plays and and go get the football. The play that he made on fourth down to come from basically like a four eye technique over the uh, right tackle. The play was aimed to hit the, the B gap on the other side of the line. 
and Barmore crosses the face of the guard at the snap and goes all the way down the line to make the stop on fourth down from basically one side of the line of scrimmage to the other. And you talk about the explosiveness to be able to get that initial penetration, right, to get around the guard and get into the backfield, but then the range to then chase it down and go basically coast to coast, tackle to tackle. That's the type of plays that you see from Barmore that you're that make you go wow. Yeah, he. It's the. It's kind of funny that I, I. So I asked him what you know how much he'd watch Richard Seymour. We talked to him yesterday. I asked him how much he'd watch yeah. Richard Seymour, and he wouldn't really let on. He was like, "Oh yeah, I've watched a lot of guys." And I'm like, "Well, is Seymour included? Like, what do you think of him?" He goes, "Oh yeah, I, I like him because he's tall and has long arms, and I'm tall and I have long arms." And I know Bill said it a number of times last week that there's nobody like Richard Seymour, and that's true. But in terms of mold, Barmore feels like as close as you can get. And you mentioned, yeah. you know, the athleticism and the ability to go side to side. It's just, you don't really see that from guys his size. It's just, it's rare. It's really yeah. rare. And it can be such a weapon. Yeah, he made another play in the run game from the backside five technique over the tackle all the way again, all the way across the line of scrimmage, running down the line of yeah, scrimmage. Yeah. Lawrence guy forced the runner to cut back inside, and he cuts back inside, and here comes Christian Barmore at 310 pounds working his way down the line of scrimmage to make the tackle. You see these plays, and although it's still a little bit inconsistent, it's kind of boomer bust right now from him against the run. He has really uh, stepped up, I would say, as a run defender and made more plays in the run game than what I was expecting coming in. When we talked about him, when the Patriots drafted him, definitely thought that he was going to be more of a situational pass rusher as a rookie, right? Somebody that was only going to play predominantly in their pass rush packages on second and long third downs, things of that nature. He's played a lot more than that. He's a guy that I think is really already trending towards uh, being an every down player for the Patriots. So, Talk about a draft class, Alex. If Barmore continues to pan out this way, Mac continues to go this way, Mac Barmore one two in this draft class. We might look back on this in ten years and be like, they 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 got two cornerstones with those guys. Yeah, it really feels like it. It really does. Roll tide, roll tide. Uh, on the back end in the secondary. Definitely some reasons to be concerned about that back end. They ended up evening it out by the end of the game with Mike White in the game. They picked him off twice. That definitely oh. helped. I mean, Mike White is better in the second overall pick in the draft this year. Might so that, that's got to mean something. So is that good is that good when your second overall pick gets outplayed by a journeyman, like a 26-year-old journeyman from Western Kentucky? Does that mean you're moving in the right way as a franchise? Like, refresh my memory. Because I don't think that's what's supposed to happen. I know it's what's happening for the New York Jets, but I don't think you want your second overall pick. The guy you insisted, the guy you, you know, you could have had Justin Fields, you could have had Mac Jones. Nah, we're going to take the guy from BYU who turtled against Coastal, who gets outplayed by Mike White. Is that what a franchise who knows what they're doing does? Like, am I am I off base here? I'm sorry, I hate the Jets so much. Oh my. I'm with Bill. In that, who whatever his fight is, more, I'm right Alex Barth or Bill Belichick. I lived with too many Jets fans in college. Did you Bill see Morgan uh, Morgan Moses get getting his feels about Bill running up the score on the Jets? I that did. was great. And I'll give you the quote from Bill Belichick in 2007 about running up the score. Quote, I've been coaching for too long. I remember being on that side. When I was coaching defense, it was my job to keep the score down, not theirs. When you're playing defense, it's your job to stop them. It's not the offense's job to not score. It's like I tell the offense, what the bleep do you think I send you guys out there for? To punt? We have a punt team for that. It's not your job. Your job is to go out there and score points. If you come off the field, you haven't scored points. You haven't done your job, end quote. If you don't want somebody to run up the score on you, don't let them score and score back. It's that simple. There doesn't need to be any more conversation than that. All right. If the only time I fault a coach for running up the score, look, if you're up that big, you should probably take important players out of the game because you don't want them getting hurt. But if you want to leave them in the game, all the power to you. Score 70, score 80 for all I care. It's not your job to stop your team. That's the other team's job. Okay. Running up the score in the NFL. Get the hell out of here. Okay. Let, let me <laughs> let, rant over. Let me uh, ask you this question and pose this question to the to the group here. Would you rather see Jawan Williams at outside corner with Jalen Mills in the slot or Miles Bryant in the slot and leave Mills and JC Jackson where they're at? So I, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. I, 
I think you you missed some options there. But I I when Who we talk about Sean when, so, when, so first off, when we talk about it's the Jets, this is where it's the Jets applies to, yeah. to Juwan Williams. How he's looked all year, I'm not going to jump back on the bandwagon because he played well against the Jets. He played okay. well against okay. the Jets. We can get to Juwan here in a second, but keep going. So I I think that there's an option. I think Miles Bryant's best at a deep safety, and with Devin McCourty potentially missing time, as you reported earlier today, yeah, I think you're better off. So look at it this way. If you're putting Miles Bryant, who I know came in as a corner, but I, I don't know about you. I feel better with him as, about him as a safety. I think that's where he presents his most value to the team. So if you're now playing Miles Bryant in a slot, you're playing Adrian Phillips on the back end, you now, you're now playing two players out of position. And we know they don't want to do that. We know Bill doesn't like doing that. I know they say, oh, we're all defensive backs in the room, whatever. You're taking two guys out of spots where they can be more impactful. If it's me, I leave Phillips in the box. I leave Bryant deep. You may have to put some help because you want a good tackler back there. And as much as I love Miles Bryant, he struggled as a tackler. Um, right. I think it's time to to, to recall D'Angelo Ross from the practice squad or okay. Sean Davis. I think those are the two directions you can go. You either recall D'Angelo Ross, try him out in the slot and leave everybody else where they are. Or if you think Miles Bryant's or slot corner, then I think you recall Sean Davis. You put him back there at deep safety. Uh, and, and that way you're not juggling Adrian Phillips. Cause I think Adrian Phillips presents too much value in the box. Kyle Duggar as well presents too much value in the box to move those guys forward. The other thing they can do, they worked out three co- slot corners last week. I know yeah. DJ Hayden was one. The other two names are escaping me off the top Brian of my head. Poole. Brian Poole is a solid Brian player. Poole is another one. Well, yeah. he's more outside, right? Or is he slot? No, he's a slot guy. He's okay. a nickel. He was so, really good for a while there. Not not so good recently, obviously. That's why he's unemployed. But he was once upon a time a very steady inside yeah. player. And then the other thing is you have Sean Wade, who has in practice, who – if he comes back, I, so I'd go with Sean Wade. If he's healthy, I'd go Sean Wade in the slot, Miles Bryant deep, leave the outside corners where they are. Assuming Sean Wade can't play, I think the answer here lies beyond the active roster. I think it's bringing in somebody off the practice squad, or they now have a roster spot, right, with with Harvey Longy going on IR. Yeah. Seems that McCourty has to go on IR, uh, either elevating Sean Davis or signing, uh, elevating D'Angelo Ross or signing one of these corners they worked out. So two things. One, Jawan Williams' tape against the Jets was, was oh, good. Oh, Adrian Colbert's apparently a free agent now. Yes, so I'll they throw his name in him. there. So Jawan Williams' tape against the Jets was pretty good. And the one thing that I consistently see with him when he gets into trouble in the secondary is poor technique, poor eye discipline. And, and really what the two things that stand out the most are – we talk about we talked to all all had all this conversation earlier about quarterbacks playing within structure, right? Within the structure, within the pocket, within the structure of the system. Cornerbacks also have to play within structure, especially in a man coverage heavy system. But just in general, you have to keep your your shape, right? You have to keep your structure. And a lot of the times when Jawan Williams get into trouble is because he is basically playing man-to-man coverage like he is on an island, right? Whereas the Patriots want you to play man-to-man coverage with your leverage based off of where your help is. So if you have a post safety over the top and you have a robber in the middle of the field or a low hole player, right, you want to play outside leverage and you want to be able to uh, cover anything up the field and outside. So you have these leverage-based rules for the cornerbacks and Jawan Williams – has a really difficult time with blowing that now against the jets he stayed within the confines and within the framework on of the system defensively a lot more and he was serviceable so the question is is can he consistently do that or is he going to revert back to the guy that got burned on that fourth down play against houston right who was technique was all over the place gets spin around like a top because he's not playing his leverage and gets beat over the top for a big play that that's the issue with Juwan Williams and then he can have good games like he did last week against the Jets now the other name and it's escaping me now uh, who's the wide receiver that they had in in training camp that everybody thought was going to save their their offense uh, the the speedy guy from Miami Jeff you already forgot about uh, not Jeff Russ uh Jeff Thomas, Jeff Ross, the comedian, Jeff Thomas, Jeff Thomas, forgot about Jeff Thomas. There we go. Jeff Thomas, the greatest Patriots wide receiver that never was. I feel like we are getting into Jeff Thomas territory with Sean Wade a little bit. 
and I that's no disrespect to Sean Wade, but everybody is asking me about Sean Wade. When is Sean Wade going to play? Like he is some savior to the Patriots secondary as soon as he gets over this concussion and gets out there. I don't see him as a savior by any means. I don't think that he's even close to that. But when he was at Ohio State, he was far better in the slot than he was on the boundary. When they played him inside his junior season or his sophomore season, whichever one it was, he was good. Then they moved him to the outside his last year at Ohio State, and he really struggled. So does he have potential as a slot corner in the league? I I think the answer to that question is yes. So maybe they do are able to work him out in the slot a little bit more and get something from him when he gets available and, and when he hopefully gets over this concussion. So do I like any other options all that much? No. Do, am I concerned? Where's my concern level with the secondary? And you can answer that question too, Alex. It, it's not red alert. You know, it's not, it's not DEFCON five, but, but we're pretty high right now. I would say with the secondary holding this team back from really being able to make a run. Yeah. And I'll just throw this out there. Having Stefan Gilmore certainly would have helped, but Stefan Gilmore doesn't play in the slot. He doesn't play deep safety. Right. The issue isn't that they treat, you know, the issue is that they just didn't have enough bodies. They didn't have enough depth. I've been saying this since training camp, even if they still had Stefan Gilmore. Yeah. Not to pat ourselves on the back, but we've been talking about cornerback depth since minicamp on this show, right? And that was when we thought they were getting Stephon Gilmore back, and we were still concerned about it. So it's definitely a a, a, not a good situation to be in, especially in 2021, to have uh, holes in the secondary is not where you want to be. No, it's not. It's and again, it's a it's a bodies thing. It's just they they were a corner short throughout camp. We talked yeah. about this when Justin Bethel was playing, and we were talking about well, can Justin Bethel give them something at outside corner? You know, they might need. We were talking about them bringing in Richard Sherman. We were talking about them bringing in all these guys. Yeah, and it obviously never came to fruition. And here we are, but they've been short a corner. They were short a corner before they traded Gilmore. They've been, they, you know. They just, they need, and maybe they'll get somebody at the deadline. I don't know. I know they're kind of up against it with the cap. Maybe they sign right. one of these guys that, that we talked about earlier, DJ Hayden, Brian Poole, whoever, but they're short a corner. They are. They've been short. They've been short a corner. The the depth, or let me put it this way. The Patriots secondary, the secondary they built from like 2017 to 2020 was so unbelievable not just because of the top-end talent. And they had tremendous top-end talent. Stephon Gilmore, Devin McCourty, Patrick Chung, right? It was that they also had tremendous depth. You know, they had guys like like Jason McCourty. They had a guy like Deron Harmon, these sort of players. Yeah. And that the fact that they kept that group together for three seasons, 17, 18, 19, they really had that whole group. They had not just the best top-end players in the league in the secondary, but they had the best secondary depth of any team in the league. And I thought what happened last year was that top end talent for the most part was still in place. They replaced Patrick Chung with Adrian Phillips. That top end talent was still in place, but the depth was gone, right? They lost to Ron Harmon. Uh, You know, Jason McCourty was soon to go, et cetera. Now that depth's all gone. And they came into the year theoretically with that same top end talent of JC Jackson, Devin McCourty, Stephon Gilmore. Now that now you're seeing, you know, that top end talent isn't available for one reason or the other. And in past years, we would have felt fine because you had Jason McCourty to turn to in this situation. Right. You, you had, right. You had Deron Harmon to turn to in this situation. Those guys aren't there anymore. And that's kind of that, that was the bigger issue. It's not that they didn't pay Stephon Gilmore. It's that they didn't have anybody ready to go if he wasn't going to play. Yeah. That, that to me is the bigger issue in itself. This all relates, and I, I hate to put it all on him or all on that draft selection, but Jawan Williams in the 2019 second round, right? Like that, that's, yeah. yeah, I that, mean, that's that, a big part of it. That, that's the guy that was supposed to be the the replacement for Stephon Gilmore, right? Not saying that he was going to be Gilmore and be a defensive player of the year as Atlas has made an appearance. Uh, Naturally. he Not saying that, but he was supposed to be the guy that – came in and took that CB2 spot, right? That took that uh, that second outside cornerback spot when Gilmore eventually moved on. We're at that point. He can't do it, right? Jawan Williams is incapable of doing it, and here we are. Now, last like thing real quick here. Uh, a lot of in the chat about trade uh, deadline stuff and, and things like that, and 
I just want people to really curtail their expectations for the Patriots at the trade deadline. Uh, Miguel uh, Patscap has them at $4 million in space right now. They do not have a lot of money. They're pretty much right up against the cap in terms of players on IR, uh, likely to be earned incentives. There's going to be things that they have to pay for the rest of the season from a roster standpoint. And they don't have a ton of money to waste on a trade. And it doesn't feel like the Patriots are... Remember when they traded for Tlaib was that 2012, right? Uh, yeah. That team in 2012, you could make the argument, was an Aqib Tlaib away from a Super Bowl, right? This team is not an Aqib Tlaib away from a, from a Super Bowl. So to move the money around, to convert salary on somebody else's contract, to sign an extension in season to lower their cap number, all the little salary cap tricks to add void years to somebody's contract to spread out cap hits all those little tricks that you can do those are tricks that super bowl contenders win now mode teams do not not teams that are three and four with the rookie quarterback you just can't you can't hamstring yourself in the long term for a short-term gain with a team that's not six and one right you just don't do that yeah no i i I don't think the you know i see people saying Xavier Rhodes, Allen Robinson, whatever. Right. Yeah, not this year. For a number of reasons, yeah. not this year. You do that in the offseason. Talk to me in the offseason, right? In the offseason, right, right. I, 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 we could have those types of conversations about them getting a number one corner in here or them paying another playmaker or something like that. Right now, this team is going to have to ride it. It feels like the team is going to have to ride or die with the guys that they have for the most part. Could they make a trade for a guy on a rookie deal or something cheap? Uh, just to get another body in here, absolutely. But in terms of the the big splash move at the deadline, seems very unlikely. Yeah. Can I can I bring up uh, one more point unrelated here? I don't know if you have anything more of the game, but I just do. No. Something I just saw that's very interesting. Yeah. Go ahead. So I guess I, I, I this is just something I've always said for a long time, and me and you have argued about this, and it's just interesting to to hear it in this context. So I guess Tom Brady on his show he does with Jim Gray. Yeah. Said that the early 2000s Dolphins were his toughest opponent that he's oh. faced. I have long maintained that, you know, because we like to do the list of the potential dynasties that the Patriots ended, right? The Rams, the Seahawks, the Colts, right? I've always felt like the early 2000s Dolphins get left off that list. You look at the defense they had Jason Taylor, Zach Thomas, Patrick Sertan. Uh, uh, Sean Merritt. I mean, they just all over that defense, great players. Yeah. And then off offensively, they had peak Ricky Williams at a time when that kind of running back was an elite offensive weapon. They had some good receivers, Randy McMichael, Chris Chambers. I think they had David Boston for a year. Yeah. Um, I, I know Jay Fiedler's not the best quarterback, but he was capable. Like had those teams not had to go through Brady had the Dol- So here's the way I've always phrased it. Had the dolphins, been the team that left the AFC because in 2001 they realigned the divisions right they added the 32nd team and the Colts moved from the AFC East to the the newly created AFC North was the Central became the AFC North if the Dolphins were the or the AFC South sorry the Colts moved yeah. to the South even though they're North if the Dolphins had moved to the South instead of the Colts what would those like had the Dolphins not had to go through Brady and the Patriots those teams what would they Well have that also would have been fascinating because that means that Brady and Manning Brady would have been three twice a year right yeah, automatically but right. you know if the Dol- or however you want to put it if Brady doesn't come along and the Dolphins stay in the east what yeah. would that like that Dolphins team was just, they had a Super Bowl roster they did they had yeah. a Super Bowl roster i just think it's very interesting Brady said that cuz i've said that for a long time that those teams got under uh, those teams are wildly underrated. Yes, great uniforms in that era as well. It feels like that that team, if you went back and watched, and, and unfortunately I don't have all 22 available to me from the early 2000s, but if I you somehow... You can find it if you really look. If some, I somehow some got my hands on it, I feel like that team might have been the first team that came up with the rush four, drop seven, flood the middle of the field, can you know, and, and get to Brady with a four-man rush, right? And they like, could do it because they had Jason Taylor. Right, the the 2007 Giants blueprint that everybody points to might have actually started with the Dolphins in the Jason Taylor era and then kind of continued on. So really interesting uh, point there from Brady. I, I You wouldn't have guessed that, but yeah, I, I guess that's pretty, pretty, makes some sense, right? I, that's what I'm trying to get out. Makes some sense. Yeah, no, they had, I mean, they had, I forgot, they had Junior Seau too. Um, 
they had a what, what, I forget how to pronounce this guy's name. Uh, Adway, I, I, Adway Ungunlie. He had 15 sacks one year. Like that team was just good they team. Had some really, they had some really good teams back then. We don't we yeah. don't give the Patriots enough credit for. I mean, they did because it's not like those Dolphins teams got one in. They didn't. They didn't get one in, and I thought they had some promise. Okay, Alex and I will be back on the show on Friday to preview Chargers Patriots. This is a really fun one. Alex, oh, yeah. you, if you covered Brandon Staley, you would hate his guts because Brandon Staley is like if nerd football Twitter, if all of us nerds on football Twitter with all the analytics and everything were an NFL head coach, they would be Brandon Staley, right? right this is the, So bring on the math. I'll this take is Bill Belichick against the math any day. He is the one of the most aggressive play callers on fourth down in the league. He plays too high defense, at least pre-snap, a vast majority of the time, gives it up against the run, doesn't care, right? And, and, and plays the way that all of the nerds and all the math tell you to play football. That's what the Chargers blueprint is. I'm really uh, excited to see this matchup because this is a old school mindset in Belichick against a new school guy in Staley, who is a huge age gap, rookie head coach, all those types of things as well. And uh, two really good young quarterbacks. So I think it's going to be a fascinating game to watch how the Patriots offense attacks the Chargers defense because the Chargers defense is going viral right now, right? Everybody is is latching on to this Brandon Staley scheme and what the Rams are doing and what the Chargers are doing and what Vic Fangio is doing in Denver. And that's all related. And this is like the new Seattle three, right? We've, we've asked the coaching staff a lot of questions about that Seattle defense in the early 2010s and how the league kind of adopted that and adjusted and all that kind of stuff. The new Seattle three is this Charger Ram defense. So it's going to be really fun to see how the Patriots go out and attack it. Right now, uh, Los Angeles is 32nd in the league against the run, dead last. So, And the Patriots finally have their offensive line combination in place. You would think that they're going to run it down your throats, but I would also think that the Chargers are going to think that they're going to run it down their throats. So it should be a really good chess match between McDaniels and Staley. And Staley goes back to John Carroll University. He was a coach there. And so McDaniels and him have a pretty good relationship. So this is low-key a very fun game here on Sunday with the Chargers. And don't sleep on the special teams because they may have fixed a lot, but the, it, those math coaches don't care much for special teams. And that hasn't been fixed a ton. And look at what they did to them last year on special teams. I mean, it was a full on pantsing of yeah. the Chargers special teams unit. So sometimes I was, you know, yeah. What were you going to say? Sometimes I listen to Brandon Staley's press conferences and really think he's just pandering to to the nerds on Twitter because he gets up there and he, he goes on these long tropes about how you don't have to run the ball effectively to be a good play action team and you don't have to play single high to stop the run and you don't have to uh, punt on fourth down as with as much frequency as teams are doing it. And all these – he is the – you know, we, we've talked a lot offline, Alex, about how baseball is going with the nerds, right? The Red Sox, right. the Dodgers, all these teams. And how's that working for them? Following the nerds. And Brandon Staley is doing what baseball is doing. And it, it's more exciting. It's more fun, obviously, than, than the nerds ruining baseball. But it's just really fascinating to see because you really can't get more polar opposite in terms of uh, – approach and in, in, in the way that they call games and the systems that they run on offense and defense. It's, it's staring directly at, um, you know, a, 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 an opposition that's totally, totally different than what the Patriots do. Right. It, no, it's, it's, it's old school versus new school. It's going to be a ton of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll talk about that one on Friday. We'll have some more about this matchup uh, between old school versus new school, the Patriots facing the Los Angeles Chargers. But until then, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody. See you Friday.